I got all my peeps here in the front row. <laughs> they allowed me to come to the young adults group for uh, three weeks in a row, and so I think they rightly thought they would shock me by sitting up here in the front, and they, and they did. Man, now I can't go back. I, I got to do good today. I don't know if I can live up to it. <laughs> uh, I hope you have finished all your Christmas shopping, and anybody that hasn't, don't even, don't even think about it. Just get out there and rumble and do the best you can, you know. Uh, I want to start you by thinking of some familiar characters with Christmas, some names you're familiar with, Santa the Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. Okay, now the rest of these are movie characters, so we're going to test your movie knowledge. All right, here we go. Buddy the Elf, what movie? Elf. Oh, really funny movie. Ralphie. I'm surprised you younguns know that one. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. All right. George Bailey. They're overwhelming you guys. It's like a chorus, a massive chorus. The Grinch. Clark Griswold. Kevin McAllister. Clarence Oddbody. Ah, ah. Clarence Oddbody. It's a Wonderful Life. Who said that? There you go. There you go. It's a Wonderful Life. He was the angel. He was the angel. <laughs> uh, Luther Crank. And the famous and one and only Cousin Eddie. Okay, yes. Now, here's a statement. When it comes to understanding the truth about Christmas, what do these names contribute? True. They're a lot of fun. I enjoy them all. But when it comes to understanding the truth about Christmas, they contribute absolutely nothing. Thank you, Mr. Edwin Starr. Does anybody know if Edwin Starr is still alive? Michael, you would know these kind of things. Is Edwin Starr still alive? His feet, his feet are still keep on walking? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Uh, so what we want to do is try to peel back the curtains a little bit. Many of the things that I'm going to say you're familiar with. Many of the things perhaps you won't be. But uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be a little bit more aware the Christmas was this enormously strategic move of the eternal God to try to reveal himself in a way that he has never revealed himself before to either angels or humans in order to reconcile back all the humans that can be reconciled and you're going to be shocked at this one to reconcile some things in the angelic civilizations as well. This is a big deal, this Christmas thing. This, this God becoming a baby thing so I want you to think of three words in the future maybe this will stick with you whenever you think about Christmas and you know we enjoy all the the seasons and the tree trimming and the present giving and, and all that kind of stuff but three words that might stick in our hearts to make us remember this is this is a significant event this is big in the history of the universe here they are Christmas is about revelation primarily it is about God revealing himself in a way that he's never, never been able to and, and never in the past 
uh, revealed himself before for the purpose of reconciliation to uh, breach that gulf of distrust that exists between many of us humans and himself as well as to resolve some things with the angelic communities in order to rescue us now today we're going to talk about the the revelation component revelation for reconciliation christmas eve we're going to talk about rescue matthew 121 it says they shall call his name jesus because he will save or rescue it's the same word that's used there rescue his people from their sins easier said than done to rescue people me you people from our sins so anyway we'll deal with that on christmas eve night so let's go on we'll get right into the text these are familiar texts that introduce this christmas event to each and every one of us John speaking he says in the beginning was the word notice it's capitalized and the word was with God and the word what does it say the word was God so whoever this word is this word is God through him all things were what that means this word who is God is the creator so that means when we read back in Genesis in the beginning God created we now know in the beginning the word created so we just need to define a little bit who, who the word is through through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made the word became what flesh and made his dwelling among us now that's Christmas that that's God becoming a baby pause for a minute there's nothing very intimidating or impressive about a baby unless it's your baby <laughs> then it's impressive at least but it's not intimidating and yet this baby laying there uh, in the midst of you know animals uh, a manger it was a feeding trough this is the creator of the entire universe this is the being who thought spoke and everything that there is came into existence so he became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us so he's going to live amongst us his own people it goes on it says God gave the law through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ now pause and let this sink in for a bit so from all the way from Adam to Moses which you know who knows it's really tough you look at those genealogies but maybe 2500 years how many of you know there was no Bible can I just see your hands there was no Bible okay the start of what we call the Bible started with God's speaking to Moses and saying Moses I want you to start copying this stuff down that was about 1450 1460 BC so up until that point 2500 years no Bibles that means that when when human beings whatever they knew about God they just knew from fragmentary revelations that he would give himself here and there they couldn't go to their favorite store and buy a Bible they couldn't order a Bible online or anything they didn't have a whole Bible Moses didn't have a whole Bible in fact way 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 until John wrote the book of Revelation in AD 96 before there was even a complete copy so so the law though God gave the law remember the Ten Commandments but he also gave them 613 commandments to the nation of Israel so up until Moses very very little could be known about God but now God starts revealing things in his law you know when God says don't do that you you know something about God when God says do that you know something about God so God's now progressively progressively revealing himself well why would God do that why didn't he just put the whole book together all at once how many of you in here have ever been slandered you've had somebody say something about you very damaging that is categorically false how many have ever had that happen 
okay? It is an extremely tough position to be put in because you can say rather quickly, you can say, well, you know, that's not true. But about half the people are going to think, well, <laughs> maybe. You never know about people, never know. That next-door neighbor that was so nice turned out to be a serial killer, so you just never know, you know? So when you're slandered, you, you can't just come back and say, well, it's not the truth. You have to gradually, if ever, you have to prove yourself to be trustworthy. You have to prove yourself that you're not the way someone has depicted you. God was slandered in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes in and he tells Adam and Eve, he says, you know, that tree that he told you not to touch or eat thereof, he says, he says you're going to die if you eat of it? He says, that's, that's nonsense. He's lying to you. God, so he insists that God sometimes lies. And he says, not only is the tree not going to kill you, but if you eat of that thing, you'll be the best version of yourself imaginable. In fact, you'll be so smart, you'll be so knowledgeable, you'll become like God. God's holding back. He doesn't want you to be his equal. He's just wanting to keep you under his thumb. That's just the kind of being he is. He's got this fragile ego, and, you know, he has to keep everybody down. He's got to be the man. He's got to be the dog. And so that's who he really is. And Adam and Eve, they trusted they trusted this entity. I don't know how long they had had conversations with Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, but he wasn't their creator, but they, they bought it. And so God was now slandered in the eyes of those that he created in absolute love, and he couldn't just say, hey, he's, he's lying to you. He knew better than that because there's always that little lingering doubt. How do we know? Because... How many of you know that when they ate of the tree, what happened? Did they die? You know, it says the day you eat thereof, you'll die. Did they die? No. Matter of fact, Adam went on to live to be, I think, about 930 years old. So every day that he's living, he's like, I don't know. Satan said I wouldn't die. I'm still alive. God said I'd die, but I'm still alive. So there's this language. So God... He knew that the only way you can overcome slander is what we said earlier. You've got to slowly, progressively, gently prove yourself with full knowledge. You're never going to prove yourself sufficiently to some. But you will be able over time to prove yourself sufficiently to some as well. So all this thing... So God starts giving his law to Moses. Moses starts writing it down. We start having an Old Testament. It's a fragmentary record of who God is, what he's like, what he thinks, what his plans are, what his kingdom plans are for eternity. But it's still not quite enough. It's like reading somebody's letters, but never living with them for a month or two, never seeing them face to face, never looking in their eyes, never hearing the tone of their voice. It's something, but it's just not quite enough. So... God gave the law through Moses. It was good. It was a bigger revelation of God. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace. The thing that was not sufficiently revealed in the law that God gave to the nation of Israel was the, the grace component of God. That God is absolutely merciful. He's absolutely loving. He's absolutely always for people, not against people. That, that just couldn't quite be communicated sufficiently. And truth, all the truth about God. There, there was just too much truth. It, it had to be personified. It, it had to be put into flesh. So no one has ever seen God, the only Son who is the same as God and is at the Father's side. He has what? 
made him known. Christmas is about revelation. Remember? It's about revelation, reconciliation, and rescue. So God is now going to take this strategic step to reveal himself comprehensively, reveal himself like he's never revealed himself to any angel, to any human, to anyone ever again. And it starts, starts with a baby because babies are not very intimidating, like I said before, unless they need to change a diaper. Then, then they can be a little intimidating. But babies are vulnerable. They're needy. God makes himself vulnerable, puts himself in the hands of imperfect human beings. And it's also, he can impress upon us that though he's the almighty God, he is actually an affectionate lover of our persons, that, that, that our love matters. Let, let me just ask you a question. Let's just suppose there was someone that you, you were attracted to physically, let's say you weren't married and all that kind of thing, and they were beautiful or handsome in your eyes and you liked everything you knew about them, and so you come to find out that the only way, the only way that you can have a relationship with them is if you threaten them. You have to get some mafia guys to go and threaten them. They better, they better pay attention to you or they're going to end up with some broken bones for the rest of their life. You know? or, or you find out this person that you would like to have a relationship with, the only way you can have them is you have to buy them. You have to shower them with, with money and presents and, and the minute that spigot turns off, that money spigot turns off, they're gone. Or the minute that threat turns off, they're gone. But you can have them. They're going to be your beloved as long as the threat's there or as long as the bribe is there. How many of you do not want that person even though you were highly attracted to them? Can I just see your hands? You do not want them. We're stubborn, aren't we? How many of you would just, just confess right now? I know I'm not perfect. I, I, believe it or not, I know I am not the handsomest man in the world. <laughs> Nor the nicest. <laughs> But I still want to be loved for myself. How many of you with me on that? You just want to be loved for yourself. You want to know that somebody loves you. You're not bribing them. You're not threatening them. You want to be loved for yourself. Do, do we really? Come on now. I, I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes. Do we really believe that God is like that? Do, do, we, do we really believe that he actually wants you to have admiration, affection, adoration, love for him. That that, that that actually matters to him. Because it seems like we tend to think about God as he's different, he's detached, that, that he's kind of, you know, just working deals with us, you know, contractual agreements, and he'll let you go into heaven if you say this or sing that or sign the other or whatever it is. Um, but but we, don't, we don't tend, it seems like, to understand he wants to be loved for himself. That's part of this revelation. You say, how bad does he want to be loved for himself? He, he came in the most humble form, the most vulnerable form that is possible, a baby. It was an intervention unlike anything the universe had ever seen. Let me go on. Motivation. It says the law, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When God reveals his grace to us, 
the truth about himself to us comprehensively through Christ, it creates a different kind of motivation. The problem with the law, the reason that it didn't sufficiently turn us to righteousness, turn us away from evil, is that it just couldn't motivate us on the deepest levels. The law is an exterior motivation. It tends to get us thinking like, if I do this, God will bless me. If I don't do this, he'll curse me. Okay, that, that's kind of the way it was set up. Whereas the law was actually meant to guard and to guide human beings. It, it was really based on love, but we couldn't see it. So our, we were exterior motivated. Exterior, you're going to see, we're going to deal with this later on in the message. Exterior motivation is, is not sufficient, not sufficient relationally. Interior motivation is. I'll, I'll dig that up a little more later on. Let me go on. So here we go, a second round of explaining this Christmas event. This time from the Apostle Paul, he's in jail when he writes this. He's just as sure that Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the master of all circumstances, even though he himself is in jail. He writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus or Messiah Jesus, who being in very nature, who? God. Jesus is God. Now I know you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, Randy, wait a minute. you're really messing with my head now, man. There's like the Father. The, fa the Father is God. Jesus is like the Son. And I know that you've got to have a Father before you can have a Son. So the Father must have created Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, I'm not even sure what that is. It's probably just some kind of influence. No. What the Scripture teaches is that there are three distinct personages in what we call the, the Trinity. That's a made-up word because we can't understand this. The eternal Father, the eternal Son, and the eternal Spirit. They are one God, eternally existent in three personages. They are completely harmonious, but they are distinct. The Father says various things to the Son, the Son to the Father, the Son to the Spirit. They have distinct roles they do. But Jesus is God. He is not just the Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. It's not a chronological thing. So, so let's nail it down. So here again. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, meaning he could have just retained his almighty status, you know, and never been bothered with the problems he was going to encounter by taking on humanity. Let's go on. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in what? And here it is again. There's Christmas. That's the babe in the manger in Bethlehem being made in human nature. The almighty God makes himself this inconsequential baby in a manger, a feeding trough, and most people alive on the planet at that time didn't even know it. How many of you know you could you, if you were him, you could have come in a better way? I mean, couldn't you? Remember that, that movie, Independence Day? When that great big space vehicle just kind of fills the whole stinking sky. If I'm God, I'm coming like that. <laughs> Everybody's going to know I'm on the scene, <laughs> you know? But that's why I'm not God. And he is. <laughs> he comes humbly. He comes inconsequentially. But the record is embedded in history because of the way he came and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself God is not afraid of being humbled he humbles himself he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death 
even death on the cross. So now we've gone from the cradle to the cross. And when you read the rest of that Philippian passage, it has him highly exalted, everybody in heaven and earth and under the earth, worshiping him crazily forever to the crown. So you've got the, the cradle to the cross to the crown, all in this mystery of God becoming a baby. So let's look at this. Why would God become a baby? Now, we've seen some hints. We, we have some ideas. But let's look at the first reason why. Because a greater dynamic revelation of God was what? Needed. We've hinted at this already. We said the law, even though it was a revelation of God, it was not sufficient to convince people like me that I can trust God entirely and I can never do better for myself in any area of my life than to become obedient to Him, His will, and His ways. It, it didn't quite convince me. I still had some fear of God. I still had some suspicion of God. I, I still, you know, always thought about appeasing Him and keeping Him in kind of arm, arm's distance. What would I have to do to keep you on my side and off my back? The law just didn't show me enough about His heart. It didn't show me enough about His mind. I needed, we needed a greater revelation of God to remove our guilt, our shame, and our fear. Because those are, those are barriers that keep us from trusting God completely, following Him freely and fully and forever. They, they, they keep us kind of in this in-between state where we don't really have the power to put off our old self, to put off sin, and to grow and to become this new person, this new Christ-like version of herself that God intends. So, because a greater dynamic, and I say dynamic revelation because this revelation that God gives him himself as the babe in the major, it motivates us in a different way. It empowers, it motivates, it gives us the ability to say no to things that we've said yes to most of our life and to say yes to things that we've said no to. We say yes to righteousness, we say no to unrighteousness because now there's a new dynamic, a new it's not an exterior dynamic that offers me either profit or loss, but it's an interior dynamic I've been one. I've been captured by a personality. I've fallen in love and in trust with someone. So let me share some verses with you. 1 John 4. It says, This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to do what? What was Jesus' sacrifice meant to do? To take away our sins. To take... Wait a minute. He's on the cross. How can he? I, I'm, up, I'm here living in this time in human history. How can he take away my sins by what he did on that cross? Well, the way that most Christians interpret that verse is that, oh, Randy, you, you don't understand, Randy. That, that, what that's saying is that uh, he took the penalty for our sins. But that's not what it says. Matthew 121, when, when Mary was given the name for Jesus, said they will call him Jesus because he will rescue his people or save his people from their sins. Not the penalty of their sins. No, no, no. This is saying that not only was he going to become a baby, live a life as a human being, go through all the stuff that we go through, but then give himself a sacrifice. But the purpose of his sacrifice was to inspire me. It was to move me. It was to change my mind about sin. Now, for it to change my mind about sin, it had to change my mind about him. I had to go from distrusting him or discounting him as important to trusting him entirely and counting him as supremely important. Then my mind will change. When he says something is wrong for me, I believe it. And even though I might have been practicing it for a long time and getting some pleasure from it, I'm going to stop it. Because if he loves me enough to die for me, and he loved me enough to become a baby for me, I'm going to trust him. 
and, and, and I'm going to follow him fully whatever he says to do I'm going to do whatever he says to stop I'm going to stop and I'm going to follow him freely he's won my heart he's won my coming and I'm going to follow him forever I'll never stop following Jesus I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't stop following Jesus it is impossible he has completely conquered my fear my guilt my shame my distrust my discomfort all of it because he became a baby and then he went to the cross the cross is meant to change my mind change my heart change my lifestyle pause for one moment and ask yourself let's all ask ourselves has the sacrificial has the the humble baby birth and the sacrificial death death of Jesus truly turned my heart away from what God calls sin sin is living counter to the way God designed us it is depriving ourselves of the best life possible it is depriving others of the best version of ourselves possible has the sacrifice of Jesus turned me away from sin so that I look at it now as as poison that you couldn't convince me to partake of it in a million years it's a good question to ask but this is the key part of this one says this is real love not that we love God I ask this in the first service I'll ask it again how many of you have ever been in love with somebody that did not would not and you knew never would love you back how many have ever experienced that does that one hurt does that one I mean really that hurts that hurts but this is this is saying that God knows he knows that on some level at some point in our life we don't like him we don't care about him we don't love him but he confesses he is shameless in his love for us he says I love you even though you don't care about me even though you don't even think about me even though you use everything that I've given you as though it's your own and, and in your heart you don't, you don't love me at all I don't care I still want you to know I love you if you get nothing else out of this message know this please don't leave here thinking that you are not incredibly significant to God now I have the capability of throwing my life away and wrecking everything that God wants for good I can do that and so can you but I can't stop God from loving me he'll, he'll always love me it's not because of me or what I deserve it's because of him it's just who he is it's just the way of his nature so he loves us now this is meant to take away our fear because our fear of God wrecks our relationship with God and that strips us of the interior dynamic the interior motivation that enables us to put off our old ways and our sin and to put on the new ways and righteousness to love God, to love people, to love through every circumstance look at this next part of this verse it explains it we know how much God loves us and we have put our what? our trust in what? easier said than done we have put our trust in his love such love has no what fear so pause God wants to drive fear out of our hearts he wants us to feel safe in his presence he wants us to know that he is the safest person or how many of you got at least like a couple couple like inner circle safe people in your life and you can just tell them anything at all how many got that that's good it's a good thing to have I just hope they're not yes people because because you know the safe people that don't tell you the truth they're not always the best people to go to but here's the thing what God's trying to show us he's the safest person in the universe 
We have nothing to fear. This is hard for us because we're finite. He's infinite. He's almighty. We're not mighty. But he wants us, listen, he can't have an authentic relationship with us until he can drive the fear out of our hearts. You, You can't have intimacy. You can't have closeness. You can't have oneness of heart until there's no fear between you and someone else. And so, He wants us to so trust in his love. Such love has no fear because perfect love does what? Expels fear. I know some of you are thinking about Randy. What about the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, the word it means reverence and awe. Yes. To, To give God the place of supreme importance in our life and to have reverence for him. Absolutely the beginning of wisdom. To have fear of him is is the exact thing the cross was meant to eliminate because fear keeps us from uniting with God on the deepest levels in perfect trust and denies us the power to experience the life that he always wanted us to live. If we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love, not fully experienced it. His love's meant to free us up. Let's go on. Why else would God become a baby? Because a universal, deeper reconciliation with God would be possible. Pause for a minute. Universal reconciliation, meaning God's doing things in the ancient angelic civilizations through the birth of himself as a baby and the crucifixion of himself as a man and the resurrection of himself after that. He's reconciling some things. He's improving some relationships with angelic entities, ancient angelic civilizations, as well as us. That's why I put the word universal. Because a universal, deeper reconciliation with God would be possible, not guaranteed. Because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I think my nose is running too. I don't feel it. <laughs> How many of you know my nose has been running for like eight years now? No, it's true. I think it's um, brain fluid coming out of my nose. I read read an article about that one time. No, for real. Check it out on the internet. Everything on the internet's true. (laughs) But uh, possible. In other words, God wants the most uh, intimate relationship with each and every one of you. You know what? I should have said this in the beginning. until, Until we take this message and make it personal very very personal in other words God doesn't love us in mass he knows us individually and loves us individually individually passionately shamelessly he pursues us and until we get that part of the Christmas message uh, we we kind of miss the power of the whole thing so he knows that we're not all going to be reconciled with him he knows that no matter what he does some of us are never going to trust him never going to like him never going to love him never going to follow him never going to want his will his ways his word his kingdom he knows that but he still came as a baby and he still lived as a human and he still did miracles that nobody's ever seen before taught things nobody's ever heard before went to a cross willfully to express the fullness of his love so that he's done everything he can do but he knows not not all of us are going to be reconciled but what do i mean by deeper reconciliation let me share a verse with you Colossians 1 verse 19 to 20 it says for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live where in Christ meaning everything that there is that you can ever know I can ever know any angel can ever know about God has now been revealed 
in the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus was like a magnifying glass. It actually allowed God to show things about himself that couldn't be shown before he humbled himself to take on humanity. This, this is ironic. The smaller, if you want to look at it like that, the smaller God made himself, the bigger was he able to show himself to the rest of the universe. It, they had never seen that that this almighty being who speaks and things come to exist, they had never seen that he's so tender, he's so gentle, he's so forgiving, he's so merciful, he's so kind, he's so shamelessly loving. They'd never seen this. They couldn't see it until he took on human form. So his fullness is in Christ, and through him, through Christ, God reconciled what? Everything, Everything to himself. That's a strange statement. Everything what does that include he made peace with everything where in heaven. now wait a minute i thought heaven was like the place to be there was no problem in heaven where did evil start in heaven wait a minute randy evil cannot exist in the presence of a holy god well it did it started in heaven lucifer rebelled against God in his presence in, in heaven he persuaded probably one third of the angels to go with him how many of you know that, that Satan is in the presence of God the holy presence of God the holy heaven of God how many of you know he is in the presence of God every single day right now he's up there right now in the presence of God how many of you know this because the scripture teaches that in Revelation 12 that he accuses we, we, you, me that are followers of Jesus. He accuses us day and night before the throne of God. Remember the book of Job? He was up in heaven then. You know, God's bragging about Job. He says, man, what do you think of him? There's nobody like him. He loves righteousness, hates evil. Job's like, or Satan is like, give me a break. You're bribing him. You're bribing him. You, you, you take away his stuff and see how much he likes you in righteousness. God lets it happen. Job doesn't bend. He comes back a second time. He says, okay, okay, okay. You, you took his stuff, but you didn't hurt him. Hurt him, and he'll curse you to your face. He's accusing us. He's there. So, so this nonsensical teaching that, oh, God is so holy, he doesn't allow you know, evil in his presence, it has no biblical support whatsoever. So there's things in heaven that are not made right right now. That's what I'm trying to tell you. One-third of the angels were persuaded by Satan that God was not trustworthy. What about the other two-thirds? We have every reason to believe that they have remained loyal to God. But they're probably still questioning some things, or at least they were until God came as a baby and then went to the cross to prove the purity of his heart. Until then, they were listening. They knew Satan. Satan was their buddy probably for eons of time. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Lucifer was a good guy. I mean, I, I never had any problem with him. Um, maybe it's true. Who knows? I, you know, I, you hear things. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get on, on his bad side, but I don't know. Questions, questions. Why wouldn't, maybe one of Lucifer's arguments is, why wouldn't, if you love us so much, God, why not share equal power with us? That's what Lucifer wanted. Isaiah 14 makes it very clear. Ezekiel 28 makes it very clear. And God said no. The other problem in angelic civilizations could be this. God is allowing evil how many of you have ever come across a human being that says if God is so doggone good why is he allowing evil I mean there's terrible things happen every single day if he's so good why doesn't he do something how many have ever encountered that now I, I, I always feel 
troubled when Christians are troubled by that question. I read intelligent people, Christian, Christian book writers, that say, oh, that's a tough question. It's not a tough question at all. If you read Scripture, God answers very clearly. He is allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. He has given a timetable, a shelf life, a very short shelf life to evil. He's doing it this way so that the universe can see what happens when we disobey his will. The angels are seeing it. We humans are experiencing it. We're learning by our own experience experience that God's way his will is good it's trustworthy it's always the best he's also being able to demonstrate his sacrificial love for the first time it's like I said before until evil existed God couldn't really show that he was merciful forgiving sacrificially loving to those that don't deserve it but that was always in his heart but the allowance of evil has allowed him to express that so he's He's made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It's this revelation. I can't stop my nose running now. <laughs> it would be gross if, you, if it just dripped right out. Would it not? Well, isn't it, I know it's gross to wipe my nose, but it's, it's even more gross were it to drip and hit the floor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross is what is the wake up it's like oh my goodness this is who he is this is what he's like even when we're cursing him and breaking his laws and piercing his heart and destroying everything that's good he still loves us enough to die for us he is shamelessly in love with us and every christmas you, I, we, we, we have the opportunity to give the ultimate gift to Jesus. If we just take one step to say, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to do this this year, Lord, to get a little bit closer to you because I do care about you. You do matter to me. I do want to know you more closely. I do want to express love in a way that your heart will feel it, and he does. It's, it's a one-on-one -on -one thing with him. Let me go on to expand this a little bit. I talked earlier about interior and exterior motivation. This revelation of God as the baby and ultimately on the cross, it changes the motivation for you and I from the outside to the inside. Outside motivation is like I'm going to buy you or I'm going to scare you, okay? So interior motivation, it's all spontaneous. It's, it's, we're doing it freely. It's our own choice. Think about ordinary relationships, authentic relationship builders you got to first associate with somebody. you got to get to know them. You have to get around them. You have to see who they are, what they're like. Then you decide, am I attracted to them? Are they nice? Do I like them? Um, you know, do I trust them? Then it might get even further. I admire them. I, I, I see what their character is like. I see the way they think, the way they make decisions. I admire them. And then it might get to, you know, I have feelings for them. I fight for them. I'm loyal to them. I'm devoted to them. This is a natural way uh, relationships develop. And this is natural motivation. Nobody's forcing you to move closer to that person. Nobody's buying you to move closer to that person, right? You're doing this all spontaneously. You're doing this all freely of your free choice. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. I said earlier, God wants to be loved for himself just like we want to be loved for ourselves. I, I, I meet people all the time that think they're going to, going to heaven and... There's no indication that they like God or like anything that's going to be going on in heaven. And I always wonder to myself, why would you want to go there and be there 
because you don't really seem to like God or the heavenly life now. So what, what makes you think you're going to like it then? But nevertheless, this is the kind of interior motivation. This is, this is natural. That's why I use the term following Jesus fully, freely, and forever. It's all from the inside. Folks, I'm going to just say, say something with you. If, if I knew today that God was going to take me as an example and toss me into hell just because he's God. Now, please don't be mixed up. He's not that way. He's not that kind of a God. And I'm going to tell you something. As I was being thrown down into hell, I would be screaming at everybody, worship the Lord Jesus. There is no one like him, nobody better, nobody more worthy of your heart's dedication because I can't help that. I'm, I'm convinced to the core of my being. I can't help loving him. I cannot help admiring him, being attracted to him. It's spontaneous. It's free. And it motivates me. It's motivated me since age 23. And that motivation will never dissipate because God never changes. So that's interior motivation. This gives us the power to obey God, to do his will, to serve him in every circumstance in life. Contrast that with this. Exterior motivation. This, these are authentic relationship blasters. Now these are all the same. Coercion or compensation. In other words, if I'm, if I'm relating to somebody because I'm scared, I'm being intimidated, or they're paying me or bribing me, these are exterior motivations. They're not coming from inside. Intimidation or remuneration, threats or bribes, sticks or carrots, all the same. If I'm responding relationally because of pressure from the outside or bribes, either one of those, then it doesn't have that, that interior authentic power and it won't transform me. And, and hence, that's why God had to become a baby, reveal himself in the most shamelessly humble ways, offer himself sacrificially, because he knew that there's so much guilt in human beings, and there's so much shame in human beings, and there's so much fear in human beings when it comes to relating to the divine, almighty God, that it would take this kind of sacrificial revelation to bring real reconciliation. Reconciliation on the deepest levels where uh, even if heaven weren't there and even if, you know, eternal separation from God weren't there, I'd still, I'd still follow Jesus fully, freely, and forever. So this is what's meant to occur. Let me go to one more passage of Scripture, and the wheels are down. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 19, it says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to who? Us, me, you, if we're followers of Christ, if we put our trust in Jesus and we're following him. He's committed to us the message of what? Reconciliation. It goes on. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through who? Through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, what? Be reconciled to God. These, these are relational terms. God became a baby because he knew the barriers that he had to plunge or push his way through. My guilt, my shame, my fear, he had to overcome that if there was ever going to be an authentic relationship with me. As long as there was fear, as long as there was some kind of bribe or something, you couldn't have an authentically deep relationship. Now, close out with a story that I hope will make more sense of this. It's an old story, 
It's based on the writings of uh, a guy named uh, Soren Kierkegaard. He was an existential philosopher, 1800s. Poor guy only lived to be about 42 years old. Hope he was a Christian, may not have been a Christian, but his story shows he understood the heart of God. He tells this story of a king, a great king, a mighty king. He was the most powerful king of his time. And as the king was circulating around his kingdom, the story goes, and I'm just kind of telling it in Randy style loosely. Uh, you can read it on your own the way Kierkegaard himself told it. He comes across this peasant girl, and as he observes her, he ends up falling madly in love with her. Now, he's a king. He's the king, the top king of his time. But he falls in love with this peasant girl, so he's thinking to himself, I, I, I want to meet her. I, I, I want a relationship with her, but how do, how do I do this? You know, I'm, I'm up here on the social scale. She's down here. I mean, how do I ever make this work? He says, you know, like if I, if I bring her, if I just bring her into my palace and I put royal robes on her and I put a crown, you know, on her head and, and just tell her I want her to sit as my queen at my side. He says, well, of course, she's not likely to turn that down. She, she, she'd be too intimidated. I mean, she'd probably go along with it, but he says, said to himself, I, I'd always be wondering, that, what does she think about me? If I weren't a king, I mean, would she... Does she, does she really, really want to be here? Would she be rather be at home, but she's so afraid? So he says, no, that wouldn't work. And then he thought about it. He said, well, okay, what if, I, what if I sent my carriage, my royal carriage to her house with a lot of banners along the way, and we offered her, you know, all kinds of jewels and treasures and so forth. And he's like, ah. But even then, I'm, I'm kind of buying her. I'd, I'd never know if she, I'd never know what she thinks of me. So he thought to himself, if I'm ever going to really know love with this young girl who has somehow taken my heart, I'm going to have to go down to her level. She's never going to be able to come to my level and retain her freedom of will. So he thinks, what if I dressed up as a beggar, just an everyday peasant, and I went to her house and just introduced myself and let fate take its course? But he thought, no, even that's not genuine because I'd still be the king. She'd find out sooner or later. <laughs> so Kierkegaard's king walks away from his throne. He's no longer the king. He becomes just an everyday peasant with no certainty whatsoever that this peasant girl will ever even look at him and so the story ends. You see, love, love always has to take that kind of a risk. There's no guarantee that you'll be loved in return. But love will humble itself. Love will sacrifice. Love will shamelessly humble itself and sacrifice to win the beloved. And here's what's kind of crazy, folks. God doesn't need us, but He's so loves us it's just who he is it's the hope of the world it's the hope of the universe it's the truth about God it's the truth about life and if you have nothing else that you take away from this message than this please go home knowing that you are so specially loved by this God and he will pursue you until your last breath and if you or I reject him until the end 
his heart will be broken. He expressed that broken heart on the cross already. The positive side is this. If we decide to trust him, if we decide to open ourselves more to him, if we decide to serve him more, if we decide to love him more, if we decide to seek his face and seek seek his heart, two things will happen. You will never regret it. You will never regret it. You, you, will, you will experience beauty that your mind cannot quite articulate. And you will bless his heart for all eternity. You've got that kind of power. Not because of who you are, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. He's just this wonderful. So I hope this Christmas becomes a very, very special one to you, and I hope every Christmas hereafter does. Because the simple truth is, our God shamelessly adores and loves each and every one of you and us. Let's, let's pray. Father, we so looked at that time when face to face, eye to eye, we can see you, we can hear you, we can embrace you, we can fall at your feet. Until then, may your spirit show us your heart in a transforming way that will cause us to be those that carry forth your truth, your reconciling message, your love. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.